Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. We're broadcasting live from Greenpeace headquarters today, and uh, we will have folks from Greenpeace in our second and third hour. It's going to be absolutely fascinating, but it's our first hour Wednesday. It's time for Middays with Mark, Congressman Mark Pocan on the line with us. Congressman Pocan, welcome back. Hey, Tom. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's so great to have you with us. And I should add, uh, people can contact you. Your, your congressional website is pocan.house.gov, and, uh, and, and people can tweet you at Rep. Mark Pocan. Uh, uh, so, Congressman, the, uh, the tax bill is uh, slowly making its, uh, well, who knows? I, you know, it's off to conference committee. What does all that mean, and, and what are your thoughts on this uh, Republican tax scam? Well, you know, first of all, uh, it is a scam in every way uh, from, you know, the president saying he's not going to benefit uh, and his rich friends are mad at him uh, to Paul Ryan saying that the middle class are going to get a, a tax break. I mean, every single bit of it is a lie. It's a scam. This is for their donors. Uh, multiple Republicans have been either brave or stupid enough to say so uh, publicly, uh, and it's very obvious this is uh, going to benefit uh, the top, uh, the, the wealthiest in this country more than anything else. And this has been the goal, the single biggest goal of Paul Ryan since he's been in Congress. So uh, they're going to do everything they can to make this a reality. We have to be pushing hard on this. There are differences between the House and the Senate bill. Um, they're both terrible, ugly, rotten bills, uh, but slightly different in their terribleness and ugliness. Uh, so they're going to have to do a little bit of work, I think, to figure out how to get there. But I think they're going to do everything they can uh, to try to get this done, or else their donors are not going to be happy. And we have to do everything we can to try to stop it and let them know that we're going to hold them accountable. If you vote for this bill, you're not coming back to Congress because uh, you just did something against the best interest of your constituents. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do on this. If you Google uh, my name and Jude Waniski, W-A-N-N-I-S-K-I, or just Google my name and two Santa Clauses, T-W-O Santa Clauses, uh, you'll come up with a number of articles that I've written over the years, and I've also written it as a chapter in at least one of my books. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in Screwed, um, uh, or it, it might even be in Rebooting the American Dream. 
But Jude Wininsky, back in the 70s, in the Wall Street Journal, wrote an article. Uh, he, he was the co-founder of the Heritage Foundation, the co-founder of ALEC, and, you know, I mean, a major big deal guy in the Republican Party. And, and his two Santa Claus theory, and, and feel free to interrupt me or stop me if you already know this, Congressman. Um, his two Santa Claus theory, which he laid out for the Republican Party in 1977 in the Wall Street Journal, was real, real simple. He said the problem the Republicans have been having since the Great Depression, and the reason why they keep losing elections, unless they run a liberal like, like Dwight Eisenhower, the problem that they have is that the Democrats have always played Santa Claus, and they give away gifts. They gave away Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, long-term unemployment insurance, occupational safe and healthy, uh, safety and health, child labor laws, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the Republicans are always Grinch, right? Uh, the, the Republicans are always are Scrooge. The, the Republicans are always yelling, no, no, we can't afford it. And he said, so what we've got to do is two things. We've got to turn Republicans into Santa Claus, and we've got to force the Democrats to shoot their Santa Claus. And he said it's a very simple process to do this. When Republicans are in power, when they control the House, the Senate, and the White House, run the national debt up as hard and as fast as you can with tax cuts. The tax cuts make you the Santa Claus. You're the Santa Claus of tax cuts. And then when Democrats come into power, start screaming about the national debt and use that to, to force the Democrats to do what Barack Obama almost did with the chain CPI, cut Social Security, cut Medicare, cut Medicaid, and, and go after those Democratic programs. In other words, force the Democrats to shoot Santa Claus. How do we inform the American people that the Republicans have been running this strategy? Reagan did it. George W. Bush did it. It was done throughout the Clinton years with all the screaming about the deficit. It was done through the Carter years screaming about the deficit. It's why Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton are the only two presidents who actually had balanced budgets. So how do we get the word out? Well, I think we just have to really explain it, not, not into the weeds on the details, but, you know, one of the big things is they're doubling the personal exemption, right? And they're acting like that's the gift to the middle class. Uh, but when they take away uh, another exemption that's $4,000 and they gave you maybe uh, $5,800 or whatever the exact number is they gave you, suddenly most of that's gone. It's, it's not even there. It's not really a doubling of anything. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that people hear. At least when I look at comments that I get on social media, people are like, yeah, but they're doubling, you know, my, my deduction, so I'm going to get something. No, you lost your personal exemption at the same time, and that was $4,000, so you didn't really get that much. And then when you uh, look at all the other provisions that are going to be out there that you're going to wind up paying more for, and when you have a trillion and a half or a trillion, like in the Senate bill, that gets added to the deficit, and they come back, and I don't even think they're going to wait for Democrats to come in control, Tom, to do this. I think next year already they're going to be complaining about the deficit, and they're going to try to go after yep. Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security. Then um, people are going to, whatever benefit they might have gotten, which is going to be just a few people in the middle class, that'll be totally gone and then some. So we just have to let them know, like, you know, when, when their big priority is the estate tax and they say that small businesses and farmers are going to benefit and instead we find out that, you know, it's um, one-fifth of one percent of the people, uh, it's like 5,000 people that benefited uh, from it in the last year or five to 6,000 people and that only 80 of them, I think, in the one year they looked at were actually farmers. This is not a tax benefit for farmers, uh, it's for really, really wealthy, probably corporate-type farms. 
but we have to yeah. get those kind of things across and let them know that at the end of the day, uh, even the little exemptions they get uh, will likely expire uh, and that some of these other things are in place for a long time for the wealthiest. Yeah, uh, great. And my apologies if my microphone sounded muffled there at the beginning. I had, I had uh, I dropped it. <laughs> it's, no, no, it's didn't realize it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, so, so, Congressman, what what's up with the legislative calendar? What's up with the possibility that the Republicans are going to, um, uh, you know, uh, pass a budget? I mean, you know, we're looking at the possibility of a government shutdown in the next week or so, that they'll pass a budget that's only a few weeks long or a continuing resolution or whatever, or, or what all? I mean, what, what's going on with this? Should we be getting ready for a government shutdown? Should we be freaking out? No, it's truly pathetic, um, the fact that they just can't do their jobs. They are in charge of the White House, the Senate, and the House. Uh, they should be able to do whatever they want to. But because uh, they have been unable to, as we've seen this year, whether it be health care uh, and, and many other issues that they've tried to bring forward, they just can't seem to get done because they know they're not in sync with where the American people are at. Um, in this particular case, I mean, it's ridiculous. If they can't figure out how to, they've known this deadline has been out there for a long time of December 8th, and now they're going to give themselves two more weeks to come up with something, uh, and they're going to vote for it themselves because they're not trying to work with Democrats. And then we hear that even then it's only going to be an extension into January. So we're funding government two and four weeks at a time instead of an annual budget, which is what our jobs are. It's truly pathetic that they are in charge and they can't get more done. Yeah, yeah, remarkable. And uh, it just, uh, you know, we're here at Greenpeace. We're going to be doing the show uh, the second and third hour today. And by the way, let me encourage people to call. Actually, the lines are already filling up. Uh, Congressman Pocan will be taking your calls for the hour here in our Middays with Mark uh, session. Uh, oh, there's, there's our break. Uh, we'll be back with your calls for Congressman Mark Pocan in just a minute. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin. His website is pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep, as in representative, R-E-P, Mark, M-A-R-K, Pocan, P-O-C-A-N, rep, Mark, Pocan. Uh, send him a tweet and say hi and thanks for being on our program. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Live from Greenpeace USA. And welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you live from the headquarters of Greenpeace USA. This is the headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, with, and with me in, in the, in the uh, studio is Elizabeth Jardim, who is the uh, USA IT sector campaigner. I don't, you know, I think a lot of the IT as in internet or as in information technologies, a lot of people think Greenpeace and the environment and they don't think information technology. Right. Tell us about this. Yeah, so Greenpeace has actually had a tech sector campaign for a little over 10 years now. Um, back around 2006, 2007, we uh, realized the growing problem of chemicals in electronic waste, and that's really how we initially started working with tech companies. The cool thing about tech companies is they are you know, really leading innovation. So we notice a problem that, they're, that they have in their production or their operations. We really expect them to be able to find the solutions to fix that. So we've been working on the tech sector for about 10 years. So what are some of the solutions? 
Right. So right now we're really focused on the consumption of resources and dirty energy. Like the, the t right now all of us use our gadgets daily all the time and have many gadgets. So the production of these gadgets drives a lot of consumption of natural resources and dirty energy. And we're asking the tech sector to shift to um, designing gadgets that last longer, that are designed with recycled and recyclable materials, and also um, to use renewable energy to um, manufacture these what kind, of, what kind of response are you getting? Well, um, we are getting some response in that um, some companies are starting to make progress. So um, in October, we released the Guide to Greener Electronics that ranks 17 companies on, on the different areas we're concerned about, you know, looking at energy use, um, resource consumption. And, uh, you know, they weren't all Fs that <laughs> we were happy to see. Mm -hmm. There's definitely still a lot of progress that needs to be made. Um, but... That we feel like tech companies want to sort of race uh, to to improve. Like we saw this with um, the the tech tech companies that operate data centers. After several years, we started to see companies like Apple, Facebook, and Google committing to power their data centers with 100% renewable energy, and they're steadily making progress on that. So now we're shifting beyond data centers to the supply chain, and there's still a lot of work to be done there. That's where a lot of the emissions lie. Um, Apple has been the only company to make a commitment to power its supply chain with 100% renewable energy. Um, but now that they've made that commitment, they're starting to, to enact it and showing the sector that it's possible. Wow, that's great. Now, it seems like, you know, particularly in the last couple of years, now that uh, I think the power of solar dropped like just 7% last year. I mean, it's, it's just, it's becoming exponential. Or if you know the exact number, please, you know, correct me. Um, but my understanding is that as of right now, uh, in most parts of the world, and in, certainly in most parts of the United States, renewable energy is actually less expensive than fossil fuel-based energy, and, and in some ways more reliable, although that yeah. depends on how it's done. So that's just kind of a no-brainer, right, for, yeah. for the big tech companies. You know, hey, you're running a data center and you're using, you know, 50 megawatts, um, you know, build the windmills out or whatever. But when you're manufacturing a chip, and you need some beryllium, and you need some molybdenum, and, and where do you get these things? You get them from, in some cases, conflict, conflict places in Africa. Mm -hmm. The rare earth mine in the United States was shut down because the Chinese were dumping yeah. those products on the marketplace. And, and these are not only rare earths, and they're valuable and hard to get, and, and therefore important to recycle, but they also, um, in many cases, are extremely toxic, chromium. So, uh, I mean, that's kind of a complex issue. I can see where the whole industry would start saying, wait a minute, now you're talking about hurting us financially, yeah. whereas green power nowadays is going to help us financially. Mm -hmm. We'll be very happy with that. Mm -hmm. So what kind of response, you know, what's going on there? Yeah, it's complicated. The supply chains are definitely complex. Um, each device can use upwards of 60 different elements from the periodic table and often in very small amounts. So right now, one of the big challenges is like, how do you recover such small amounts from so many devices. Um, unfortunately, our devices, most of them are, like smartphones are used for around two years and then they're replaced. And those, those phones, those products, and all of the components they're made up of just end up in the trash and they're not mm. used and we're having to mine new um, inputs. So uh, it is a big problem, but uh, it's we're hoping that it, it, it will become economic to recover those materials as well. Um, some of like the inputs, like gold, it, it has immediate value to recover that and reuse it. Um, as other materials become more scarce, then too, we're, the sector needs to figure out how to how to recover them. So there are challenges to recovery and recycling, but not so much so that I don't think this sector can 
can figure out how to do it. Is recycling yet to the point where it's cheaper to extract rare earth minerals out of recycling than it is to buy them from some cheap mine in, in Central Africa or in China? Yeah, that's it. Right now, from my understanding, no, which is why this problem persists. Mm -hmm. um, and each of these elements has its own supply chain. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, they're coming from different places. Like, a lot of rare earth are coming from different mines in Russia and China. Um, and then the conflict minerals are coming more from um, Central Africa. So, a lot of work needs to be done um, among all companies to figure out where these materials are coming from, um, what the problems are, although we know a lot, many of the problems already, but then how to um, have more transparency and um, long-term relationships with their suppliers to fix some of these problems. What can consumers do? <laughs> well, um, the number one thing we're asking consumers to do right now is to be really conscious about the, the products that they're purchasing and using and try to make sure that they um, first choose a device that is long-lasting. Um, and then use it for as long as it lasts when it starts malfunctioning rather than just, okay, ordering a new one, um, try to repair it. There are repair shops out there um, or there's tutorials online you can often find. Um, so just try to extend the, the life of your devices as long as you can. And then when, you, when they really don't work anymore, um, find a place to recycle them. Well, and that's the challenge. I've, I, at home, I've got four or five old iPhones sitting around. I've got a couple of old computers. I've got old yeah. hard drives that are, you know, don't, I, I can't even get cables for anymore. Um, I've been reluctant to dump this stuff because mm -hmm. all of it has my data, my passwords and mm -hmm. things on it. And, yeah. and I don't know, even though a couple of the iPhones are so dead I can't revive them, I still don't know if there's something still stuck in a flash memory or an EEPROM. Yeah. Um, how do you, if you're, if you're concerned about security and recycling, because yeah. You know, I, I've heard stories about people who, who left their phones at, you know, turn, turned their phone in, and then somebody in oh. India is logging on to their, yeah. their iTunes address. So oh what do you, gosh, what, yeah. what's, the what's the advice? Yeah, yeah. So part of um, we're, um, sending, so there's, unfortunately, when you recycle phones, sometimes they do sort of end up in non-responsible recycling settings where right. um, They go into the workers, gray market or the black market. Yeah, and workers are exposed sometimes to, like, pulling apart the different metals, like, um, you know, and, like, um, burning them, and it can create, um, you know, toxic fumes. So so you do want to send it to a responsible recycler. In the States, we have something called e-stewards, e-stewards, mm -hmm. and part of e-stewards' commitment is to also clear your data off the device. So they mm -hmm. do that. Um if the devices are still functional, it is a good idea to refurbish them rather than recycle them down to their components. So that's something that uh, e-stewards would look into if that's possible. They mm -hmm. would clear the data first. Um, but um, I was going to say something else on that. Sorry. That's okay. I thought. <laughs> it's okay. It happens to all of us. We have a minute, so we're going to yeah. hit, a, hit a break. What can people who are listening or watching right now do to support Greenpeace's IT campaign? Sure. Um, so right now we have a petition. Um, if you go to greenpeace.org slash USA slash do bigger things, um, we have a global campaign pushing Samsung, the largest manufacturer of smartphones in the world, to switch to renewable energy. Right now the company uses only 1% renewable energy, um, and it's manufacturing millions of phones each year. Uh, so they have a long way to go. Uh, so if you go to that website, greenpeace.org slash USA slash do bigger things, you can sign our petition and send a direct message to the CEO of Samsung right now now. That's great. And Samsung USA, or Samsung, excuse me, greenpeace.org slash USA is the main website for Greenpeace USA. Yes. Right? In fact, I 
I just brought it up on my computer. It's an amazing site. There's all kinds of cool stuff on here. <laughs> Elizabeth Jardine, thanks so much for, for dropping by and great talking with yeah, you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. We'll be right back after this. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeets is working for you, and free shipping. So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeets.com on the interwebs. In the studio is Elizabeth Jardim. She is the IT campaigner with Greenpeace. And again, you think Greenpeace, you think those ships that are stopping the, the oil, you know, the oil tankers and whatnot. But how big is the problem of IT pollution, yeah. both, both on the chemical side and then also on the electronic and maybe even the intellectual side. Yeah, yeah. It's it's big and growing because of all of our reliance on uh, the tech sector, both for the products themselves, but also for the uh, the internet and the data, most of which is now... Um, you know, being housed in large data centers, which rely on a lot of energy. In our, with our most recent uh, report, um, we found that, you know, every year more than 1.5 billion smartphones are being um, bought, and, you know, they're replaced every two years. So that's, you know, constant churn of these gadgets, and that's just smartphones. There's also, you know, we're buying lots of other products as well. We found that um, uh, just from the 17 companies that we assessed, uh, the amount of emissions um, generated from manufacturing the products in 2016 that they sold was 103 million metric tons of um, CO2, or roughly equivalent to the emissions of the Czech Republic. So that's every year Whoa. the sector, um, in terms of their manufacturing, in manufacturing is generating those emissions. That doesn't include the data footprint. Many of them also operate data centers. So the sector on whole, it, it's it's big. It's like the size of countries right now in terms of emissions uh, and growing. Yeah, it's remarkable. Louise, we've got Elizabeth in the shot, right? Yeah, okay, great. Um, so you were making some notes. Are there, are there specific points you wanted to make? Is there anything that I've missed in my questions? Or what, you know, where is Greenpeace going with this? What's the future of this? Yeah, your questions have been great, Tom. You've got to let me get to all my talking points, which I appreciate. I guess I would just, I would say um, that right now, uh, there, there's, uh, just, I, I feel like since tech companies are sort of facing market saturations in some of the the um, countries where they operate, there's a constant um, advertising and promotion of that you've got to get the new latest thing and this this new gadget, um, you know, solves these different problems that we didn't know we had, but now we know we have them. Um, but to just to stop and think, do I really need something new? Do I really need to replace this device, you know, every year? And this 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 um, idea that the product that we have right now that's the hottest thing that it could become obsolete in just one or 
or two years doesn't make any sense. And we really need to send the signal to the sector that you know, innovation needs to be defined by long-lasting gadgets that we can um, repair and replace. No, not, not every, you know, for five, that, that lasts five or 10 years, not just one or two. But there's sort of a catch-22 here. I mean, I, I just went through this experience with my, with my iPhone. Mm -hmm. I had an iPhone 6 or 7, I guess it was a 7. And I, I figured, you know, I'm going to keep it for a couple more years. It works just fine. Uh, the weekend before last, I dropped it, and, and it smashed. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, it was like shards of glass coming mm -hmm. off, so I had to upgrade. But, but I was not going to, but when we upgraded the operating system, suddenly every time I touched anything, I had to count to five before, you know, oh because gosh, the yeah. old processors, the new operating system is so much more complex. Right, And right. so really that, you know, I... I mean, I've read the articles. This was not Apple trying to mess with right. me, trying to force me to upgrade. This yeah. is just the nature of technology. Yeah, yeah, technology does change quickly, but it's also a design problem in my mind because um, you know laptops for a long time were designed in a way where you could replace the memory, replace the hard drive to, to you know not have to replace ah, the thing, the construction. Which is well yeah, so they could do the same thing with smartphones right now. Very few smartphones are designed in ways to be modular, to just upgrade certain parts. Um, the Fairphone, which is only available in Europe recently, um, created a module where you could imp replace the camera without having to replace the whole phone. So they felt mm. like between model one and two, camera technology improved to the point where consumers might want the better camera but not replace the whole phone. Um, and there's a few tablets that let you um, replace the memory. But in smartphones, I mean, the battery needs to be replaceable yeah, right now. The battery, the camera, the mm -hmm. RAM, and the processor. And which is ultimately, well, now they're they're upgrading radically the screens mm -hmm. too. So. Yeah, and everything That's is glued together. One. They're like glass sandwiches; you can't get in. They're designed right. so that regular people can't get in to fix them. Um, and that's one of the things we're campaigning on to improve. Right. I remember back in the '70s, there was a whole you know when Ralph Nader was going off on the car industry, planned obsolescence. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's now because of Moore's law, you don't even have to plan it; it's it's kind of automatic. So in the minute we have left. Uh, uh, the call for action from Greenpeace sure. on these issues. Sure. So um, I mentioned before the Samsung petition. You can still sign that petition at greenpeace.org slash USA slash do bigger things. Uh, we also have a great resource available, our guide to greener electronics, in which you can go and read about 17 different tech companies. I'm sure your smartphone is from one of the 17 we evaluated to better understand where they're making progress and where they still need to do work. And on that website, so it's our um, guide to greener electronics, Google that, you'll find it. There's lots of ways to actually send messages to the companies that you um, uh, patron. So you can go there and read about it and take action. That's great. And if you want to preserve your privacy, you can duck, duck, go it. Oh, yeah. Good idea. <laughs> Google. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's remarkable. So uh, Elizabeth Jardim, the IT campaigner with Greenpeace USA, uh, the website, greenpeace.org slash USA. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank here. you, Tom. It's really great to meet thank you. you. Great to have you with us. Thank you. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, we're going to have, uh, let's see here, uh, Annie Leonard. Holy cow, the executive director of Greenpeace USA will be with us next. Stick around. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you, and uh, super happy to have in the, uh, I was going to say in the studio, I'm in your offices, where we are at a conference room at, at the headquarters of Greenpeace USA, and with us is Annie Leonard, the executive director of Greenpeace USA, and you can tweet her at Annie M. Leonard, do I have that right, or at Greenpeace USA, and Tom Wetterer, who is the general counsel, a fancy way of saying the head lawyer for Greenpeace USA, and uh, it's great to have both of you with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for coming. It's great having you. So, uh, Annie, you guys are facing a, 
uh, and I, I mean that in the, the gender neutral way. <laughs> Growing up in Michigan, that was it. Uh, Y'all are facing this real uh, substantial threat, it seems, a legal threat. You want to tell us about it? That's right. We're facing two huge lawsuits, and, and Tom can tell you more of the detail of those lawsuits, but I wanted to first sort of frame them in the broader context of threat that we're seeing. You know, I've been an environmental activist for 30 years, and Greenpeace has been active for now 46 years. And during those times, we have fought to save forests and fought to to stop toxic dumping and fought excessive consumerism and saved Antarctica and did all these things. But right now, what's really at threat is our ability to do that. And that may sound dramatic, but um, I'm actually deeply worried about this. We're seeing across the board in this country a crackdown on activism that is taking a lot of different... Um, forms. It's taking things like vilifying activists, like we saw President Trump talking about the NFL players, mm. saying they should be fired. And Black Lives Matter. Black Lives and, Matter. And the, and the 200 protesters who got busted yeah, here in D.C. The J-20 protesters. 60-year felonies or something. So, so uh, vilifying, criminalizing like mm. that, um, silencing dissent. There's there's a number, a couple dozen laws right now across the country that are at different stages of development that would actually outlaw basic fundamental organizing. Um, hmm. ga- gathering groups of people together, sharing information on Facebook. I mean, it's, it's really scary. What we're seeing it is through these slap suits. Um, slap, as, as you listeners probably know, is a strategic lawsuit against public participation. There's two lawsuits right now that are aimed to um, silence and shut us down. Luckily, we're not really the silenceable types. <laughs> so we're, <laughs> we're continuing the work and fighting even louder. And I'll hand the mic over to Tom, our lawyer, who can talk about the specific cases. Right. Tom, what's uh, yeah? And, and by the way, I, I I seem to recall I wrote about slap suits in a book I wrote, uh, Unequal Protection, about the Supreme Court and the Fourteenth Amendment back in two thousand two, and and um, you can't hear me, and it seems it seems to me that the uh, yeah I'm generating audio. It seems to me that the slap suits that I was that that one of the states I think it was California passed an anti-slap suit statute. I mean, so tell us about slap suits and, and what's what's going on with this. Yeah, a number of states have anti-slap statutes, but not all of them. So um, yeah, that's that's still something that needs the more legislation on that. But slaps are so we have the two lawsuits as Annie mentioned, and one was filed back in uh, May of 2016 by Resolute Forest Products and that's Canada's largest logging company. And the most recent one was filed uh, this past August by Energy Transfer Partners, and that's the company behind the Dakota Access Pipeline. And in a nutshell, because they were both filed by the same law firm, um, Kasowitz, uh, Benson, and Torres, and they've represented Donald Trump. In, in a right, I was going to say Kasowitz uh, is one of his lawyers. Isn't yes, Mark they, they've represented him yeah. on, a, on a personal basis right. on a number of different matters. And they've threatened the New York Times, for instance, with uh, uh, libel lawsuits for reporting on his, some of his escapades. Remarkable. Uh, so um, it's, it's, uh, we're facing those two very big lawsuits. Um, I, how much time do we have? Because they're both, they're, the one that was just filed was over 200 pages of the complaint. We have, but a, we have six and a half minutes. Yeah, so not a lot of time to go through all the details. But in a nutshell, they're coming after Greenpeace and others, other environmental groups, for um, our advocacy work and uh, really speaking out on these issues in the one case about uh, to protect the boreal forest in Canada right. and this latest one about the, 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 f- the fight at, at Standing Rock mm-hmm. against Apple and uh, they're trying to say that in essence they've, they've, they've structured as a defamation lawsuit about what we've been saying uh, but also throwing in RICO which is racket, you know, racketeering laws to say that 
um, were also kingpins of a grand criminal enterprise to fight back against these companies and co to commit crimes, to orchestrate well, wait, crimes. Wait. RICO is the racketeering organization and, uh, and or, or racketeering and influenced influence. corrupt organizations, you, right? You, you got it. It, so, was, it, was, it. I think it was from like 1970. What's was, the racket that they're accusing you of? Well, I mean, this was uh, designed to go against the Gambino family. <laughs> exactly. That's that was the initial design of it, and um, they are using. They're saying that we, we all, everything that we said about the companies in both cases are not only defamatory, but they're intentional lies about the company. They're designed to defraud our donors, and they're also designed to extort their customers with these lies. Hmm. And then they've thrown in, if you, if you read, if, if take the time to read the 225 pages or whatever in the energy transfer lawsuit, they throw in a lot of other crimes. They, 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 you know, they put down on paper eco-terrorism and arson. And it's called the kitchen sink strategy at law, is it not? Exactly. Or some variation you, on that? Just throw everything at it and see what sticks. On paper, and then if you actually read that, not only are those allegations of crimes very vague, um, really little detail, but there's no there's no real there's no detail at all connecting Greenpeace and the other defendants to those crimes because they can't because we were not involved in those we were involved in legitimate advocacy work speaking out on these issues and I, and I will add in the energy transfer case it's also wrong about the story of what really happened at Standing Rock they're 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 trying to make us out to be the puppets the, the puppeteers of what. And that's, that's very, uh, it's, it's wrong and it's disrespectful of the indigenous people that really were leading the fight to protect their land, their water, and, and their, their, their sacred lands, uh, right. their sacred rights. And, uh, you know, Greenpeace, along with many others, uh, were standing in solidarity um, with the indigenous uh, people and, and really speaking out about these very real threats of the right. Dakota Access Pipeline environmentally and also the human rights groups. Who were the other, you, you said us, who are the other groups who are being sued? Was in, this a yeah, in the energy transfer case, um, there's also BankTrack, which is a small nonprofit in the Netherlands, and as their name implies, they do work with banks financing. So they, mm -hmm. I think, you know, sent some letters to banks, to some investors, just pointing out the risk, and a lot of the, at least in, in one case, where they're accusing them of wrongdoing to the banks, those banks came forward and said, hey, you know, we made the decision on our own based on these very real risks. And then they also named Earth First. We don't even think that's a, an, an entity, but they're also named in, as defendants. And then in the, in the pod of the alleged criminal enterprise, they throw in people from like Wesley Clark, uh, Democracy Now!, and a lot of other environmental groups like... Um, Rainforest Action Network and also um, Earth uh, Earth Justice, who that, that group filed a lawsuit and uh, on behalf of the Standing Rock Tribe, and they've 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 mentioned them as part of this criminal enterprise for filing. Is the is the we're talking with Tom Wetterer, who is the general counsel, the the head lawyer here for Greenpeace USA. Is is the bottom line kind of essence of all that that they're trying to bankrupt you. I mean, litigation can be insanely expensive, and for a small group, even a small slap suit, I mean, these, these were, slap suits were a big deal in the 70s and 80s, if you, yeah. know, if you remember. Yeah. And, and as I said, I thought a couple states took care of them, but, but uh, the principal thing is not to win in court, it's to destroy you 
uh, economically, is it not? It's, it's, it certainly is, and it's not, it's not necessarily the end game. I mean, they've, they've claimed in, both in the first suit with the treble damages of RICO, up to like $300 million in damages, the latest one, about $900 million. But it's wow. not so much... It's You're looking not, at a billion dollars? In- well, and it's not so much even that because they, they're not, they, they don't really have any merit, but it's also the, the expenses of litigation. The point mm-hmm. is to drag, not only to drag the defendants, to gra- in this p- case certainly Greenpeace, through the expenses and the time and the distraction of the litigation process, but it's also to send a message to others to chill um, others from speaking out too, because you know it, they want to send a message that you'll be sued too if if you dare to speak out, and you'll also have to face the expenses of litigation and the time that it takes. So that's really the point of of these lawsuits, absolutely. And just yesterday, um, there was an amicus brief that was filed in support of our motion to dismiss in the energy transfer case by the ACLU and NRDC and, and other groups. And it, and it talks about that very point of what th- this case, and really these cases, what they represent for First Amendment rights and advocacy if they're successful. And they really need to be dismissed at the earliest stages so that they wow. can't just file whatever in court and then have people be so dragged through in, that in process. So in one minute before we hit a break here, Annie, what can people do to support Greenpeace? Well, they can be an activist. I'll tell you that's one thing. The, the point of these lawsuits is to Welch activism at the very time when activism is needed more than ever. So get involved. If you want to join Greenpeace, you can text RESIST to 877-877. That's text RESIST to 877-877 and join our rapid response team and we'll send you great opportunities to get involved. But whether it's Greenpeace or any other group, we have got to stand up to these corporate powers, stand up to these fossil fuel industries, not be silenced, not be intimidated. And the best way to do that is with cross-movement unity if we stand together. So cross-movement unity being organizing with other groups? Absolutely, and we're seeing that now in these cases. We have groups that are working on racial justice, civil rights, immigrants' rights, reproductive justice, all these different groups coming to us, partly because they, they respect Greenpeace and care about us, but also they know the entire model of being a publicly funded advocacy organization is what's at risk here. It's like first they came for Greenpeace, and if they silence us, who knows who's next? Remarkable. Um, so, Tom, you were going to add something. No, I, well, I did want to add that in um, October we had a hearing in California on the Resolute case. And I should add that Resolute originally filed in Georgia where there was not a very robust anti-slap statute. Mm-hmm. And we had it moved to the proper venue, which was in California, where they do have a very good anti-slap statute. And the judge there, Judge Tiger, federal court, San Francisco, dismissed the lawsuit um, in full, and on the state claims under the anti-slap statute, he did hold that it, it was a slap, and he awarded us attorney's fees on that. So it was a very good decision. They did get leave to amend, um, and they and this is another uh, aspect of the slap nature. They amended the lawsuit. We don't think it adds anything in substance, but now it continues the litigation process, and we once again have to respond to that, and it drag is going to drag it out for. A number of months. I think I would say the same result that we will win, but but continued being we're dragged through the litigation process even more. Remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Um, uh, Annie, what what? Uh, well, I guess you're not the lawyer, but you're 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 running this organization. How 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 do you expect this to play out? What what is your expectation? 
Or is no. that even an inappropriate question? I, I know you don't want to give away your legal strategy, or maybe you do. I don't know. We absolutely expect to win both of these cases because mm -hmm. they are totally frivolous and fabricated. I mean, they are accusing us of doing constitutionally protected advocacy work. Actually, either the constitutionally protected advocacy work or, like, crazy stuff. Like, the ETP lawsuit includes drug trafficking in the list of charges. Really? Like, it's either, like, crazy stuff or what we are absolutely allowed to do. So how we expect this to play out is that we will win these lawsuits and, in the meantime, raise such awareness about the threats on our democracy that we will help to kickstart, along with many others, a powerful movement in this country that comes out at the end of this with the um, right to activism, the right to nonviolent protest, the right to free speech more deeply safeguarded um, in the law and in public consciousness. So we think that this is going to make us stronger. It is unfortunate, as Tom said, the burden in the meantime. I mean, the, yeah. the CEO of the pipeline company was interviewed and asked, does he actually expect to get $900 million. And he said, it's not about the money. It's mm -hmm. not about winning these cases. It's about silencing, distracting, and intimidating us. And, and so draining you of money. Absolutely. Of draining us of money. We are fortunate that we have insurance that helps with some of the legal mm -hmm. bills, but we still have you know, our strongest campaigners, our in-house lawyers, our comms people spending time on these lawsuits rather than fighting the fossil fuel companies yeah. that are threatening the future. You to add something, Tom? We have 30 seconds. Yeah. Again, if, if one would read the energy transfer complaint, for instance, since you'll see with it, again, it's a very, not very specific at all um, and with regard to Greenpeace and bank track. But if you read where it does talk about the things we do, like Annie said, you'll see things like press releases, public statements, letters to banks, you know, joint letters and things of that nature, and, and things that are just really need to be protected, fundamental First Amendment advocacy rights. And then the things that we were accused of lying about all were, were, were not only opinions and, 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 and recognized by many people, the dangers of the pipeline, also very soundly based in facts and, and science. Right. Remarkable. Here with uh, Annie Leonard and Tom Wetterer. And uh, have we exhausted the, the slap suits uh, discussion or is there, is there more to that? Because, you know, we're, I want to also talk about Greenpeace in general, but Tom? Well, the, I... I I could keep talking about slaps all afternoon, but I won't. I'll just add that. Uh, as I already mentioned, the law firm that filed this and one of the lead partners in the case is Michael Bowie has also, he said in a, a Bloomberg uh, piece, that um, he's also in conversations with other corporations considering the same thing. So, you know, more are waiting to file these things and just to underscore. Wait a minute, you mean like more oil companies and stuff suing you guys? From more oil companies, more other corporations, maybe other industries that are apparently in conversations with, with Michael Bowie and the Cassowitz firm. So we've now reached the point where corporate America is at war with the environmentalist movement, the civil rights movement, the human rights movement, the, I mean, you, you name it, corporate America is at war with us. Absolutely right. That Absolutely. is astonishing. Annie? Well, what concerns me about this is, is the timing, that right now the government has stepped out of any kind of oversight role of protecting public health, public lands, public mm -hmm. air and water. And so right when the government has vacated that position, they are squelching activists. And we are literally the last line of defense between the planet and these corporations that would want to plunder it. Yeah. So it's, it's always bad to try to silence dissent, but especially right now because they need us so much. Are you all doing anything? thing with the, with, uh, you know, I mean, Trump is cutting up bear's ears and, and some of these other monuments, most of which are, are sacred lands for Native Americans. And, and the part of bear's ears that he cut out and turned over to the, to the drilling and mining companies is one of the, one of the most 
fossil-rich sites, uh, fossils isn't the right word, artifacts, you know, I mean, from Native American cultures. I mean, these are a few hundred years old, not millions, but uh, it, it's obscene. It, it is obscene. Um, it is, you know, that Trump and his cronies talk about the deconstruction of the state. This mm-hmm. is what deconstruction of the state means, deconstruction of protections, deconstruction of, of regulations. And this is, again, why they need us so badly. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. So, so what are the other things that Greenpeace is up to right now that people need to know about? We, ha- we have a couple. Of, we got about two minutes here. To- you know, in spite of being really busy with these lawsuits, we are still fighting the good fight every single day. Uh, we are fighting fossil fuels and, and hastening the transition to a clean energy economy. We are fighting pipelines around this country. You know, this ETP suit is trying to squelch us from p- fighting pipelines. We think the best response is we're going to fight even more. So we're fighting pipelines. We have a great oceans campaign that is working to make 40% of the world's oceans marine sanctuaries. And we think we're going to be able to achieve that. We have a new campaign to fight against ocean plastic. I'm sure you've read about plastic is so pervasive in the ocean. It's pretty much everywhere. It's in every um, fish caught at this point. So we're fighting against plastics in the ocean. Uh, We're fighting against deforestation. We have a global goal to end global deforestation by 2020. Within that, our top priorities are the Congo, Indonesia, and the Amazon, because ecologically, those are the most important. We have a campaign that's pushing the IT sector to adopt renewable energy and longer-lasting products. We have another campaign that I think is really um, innovative, is that Greenpeace has a whole campaign on democracy. And some of our members first wrote and said, why is Greenpeace working on democracy? democracy? And the answer is because a healthy democracy is a precondition for a healthy environment. And Mm. we, you know, the democracy should be the best tool that we have to advance climate solutions, clean energy, all these things we know is possible, but we can't use our democracy right now. So we're working with NAACP, Communication Workers of America, Sierra Club, and Common Cause in this project called the Democracy Initiative, where we're going to get money out of politics, get voters back into politics, reclaim the democracy so that it actually can be a tool for public good again. That's remarkable. So we're are you busy. doing? Are you, I, I know you know. There's groups like Seldef and Move to Amend uh, that are doing. Uh, they call them democracy schools. Are you doing those kind of trainings? And yeah. Things, well, we don't do the actual trainings, but those groups are part of the Democracy Initiative, which is now over 50 organizations that yeah. have joined forces. Um, and it's on the website. Look it up. Democracy Initiative. It's a great organization for people that want to make our democracy work for people. Democracyinitiative.org. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. You can easily easily <laughs> yeah. search you for it. You can find it. Yeah. And that's. And Greenpeace is part of that. Yeah, and we're so, one of the founders. So you're, oh, well, wow, marvelous. Yeah. So we got and democracy, toxics, energy, oceans, forests. What am I forgetting? Those are the big ones. And, and Greenpeace Worldwide is still uh, taking names and kicking butt, right? Yep, we're in about 50 countries now worldwide. And um, it's really cool to, to have such a reach like that because sometimes we all get together on one thing. Like when we're fighting shell drilling in the Arctic, we had what's called a full power moment where every Greenpeace in the world got on that. And we're planning that kind of response to these lawsuits. That's remarkable. Annie Leonard, the executive director of Greenpeace USA. Tom Wetterer, the general counsel for Greenpeace USA. Thank you both for being with us today. It's great having you you with us. Thank you. And great meeting you both. Thank you. We'll be right back. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. 
So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code Tom. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom. That's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M as the promo code for your $100 discount. Welcome back. We're live from Greenpeace's headquarters and uh, so happy to have with us Naomi Ages, the Greenpeace USA climate organizer, greenpeace.org slash USA. You can tweet her at Captain Planet, although it's spelled without, the captain is without vowels. So it's C-P-T-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-E. Kind of a feminized uh, Captain Planet. Or it's great. Uh, so that's, that's your Twitter handle. And, of course, you can tweet Greenpeace USA as well. Naomi, welcome back to the program. You've been on the radio show. You've been on our TV show, which we no longer do, but you've, you've been with us all over the place. It's great to see you um, again. Yeah, it's nice to nice see to you again. Thank you. It's great being here. So there's so much going on. You were just telling me that ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, that, that writes so-called model legislation, where, where lobbyists get together and write legislation for Republicans to submit in state houses, just did something that even, even, even uh, what was it, ExxonMobil couldn't Exxon Mobil. handle? Tell us about this. ALEC uh, put forth a resolution for conservative lawmakers to use that would overturn the EPA's endangerment finding. Now, that's the finding that says that carbon dioxide is a pollutant and the EPA has the right to regulate it, and that underpins a lot of the Obama-era uh, climate policies that Scott Pruitt is rushing to undo and that the Trump administration is rushing to undo, and ALEC is trying to get rid of that legal ruling, which would make it a lot easier to undermine the EPA. And in a really shocking move, Exxon publicly opposed that ALEC resolution. Now, Exxon is still a member of ALEC and still funds ALEC, so that means in some ways they are still contributing to climate denial and all of the bad legislation that ALEC tries to promulgate. But in saying even Exxon thinks that it's too far to undermine the endangerment finding, it's a really big split in the conservative opposition to climate activism. Wow, when even Exxon thinks the Trump administration has gone too far. Or at least Alec has gone too far yeah. in trying to push or the Alec, Trump yeah. administration. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. um, yeah, it, we, won't, we won't know what happens with the resolution until Alec votes on it, but Exxon said they would not publicly, they would not support it in its current form. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. It yeah. is very interesting. In, unless they're doing it because there's something in the legislation that might limit that might increase their liability or something like that. I, you, you just never know. You just don't know. Or maybe yeah. if they, if Alex softened the language in some way and still made it possible yeah. for Exxon to support, uh, because I, Exxon is... It's hard to think of Exxon <laughs> as, you know, a great corporate... Uh, or climate champion in yeah, any way whatsoever. Yeah. And they're still under investigation by attorneys general. They're still facing lawsuits. So yeah. they have a lot, a lot to work on in terms of climate policy. Is the new CEO any different than Rex Tillerson? Uh, we haven't seen him take any public positions yet that say that he wouldn't be. Um, mm -hmm. And he came up through Exxon just like Rex Tillerson did. So okay. uh, we assume it's more of the same. Um, and I mean, until Exxon admits that the era of the fossil fuel is over and commits to you know managing the decline of the industry, I'd say he's the same as Rex Tillerson. Yeah. Hopefully he won't end up as Secretary of State. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Um, and we'll see how long that lasts, too. So uh, December 11th, there's a couple of really big things happening. You want to tell us about it? Sure. Uh, so de December 10th is actually International Human Rights Day, and it's interesting that we have two cases dealing with climate change and human rights um, 
with important moments on December 11th. So the first is there is a hearing in the um, Our Children's Trust case, Ju the Juliana case, which is the 21 youths um, suing the federal government for not appropriately adapting and preparing for climate change and establishing a right to a safe and stable climate for future generations. So the Trump administration is trying to have that case thrown out, and they filed this extraordinary petition in the Ninth Circuit, and that will have a hearing on December 11th. So it's really important, and we're hoping that the judges on the Ninth Circuit make the right decision there and allow the case to proceed as it was supposed to before the Trump administration filed this um, really unprecedented legal action to have it thrown out that there's really no grounds for. So that's the first thing. Also on December 11th in the Philippines is the first conference of the parties for the Philippines Commission on Human Rights inquiry into the responsibility of the carbon producers for human rights effects of climate change. So after Typhoon Haiyan, uh, Filipino disaster survivors, community organizers, NGOs, and Greenpeace Southeast Asia Philippines filed a petition with the Commission on Human Rights to ask them to investigate the 47 largest fossil fuel companies uh, and cement producers for their responsibility in the effects of climate change and how those affect Filipino human rights. On December 11th, the commission has invited both the petitioners and the fossil fuel respondents to come and have a conference to decide how that inquiry will go forward and what the responsibility of those companies might be. And that's a world's first. Wow. So in, correct me if I'm wrong, my understanding of what you just said was that the, that the companies in the Philippines that are producing enormous amounts of carbon dioxide, basically and other greenhouse gases, are being held responsible for the climate change that resulted in Hurricane or Typhoon Haiyan being one of the worst in the history of the world, I guess, or some. So it was some mind-boggling thing, and it wiped out a lot of the Philippines. Is that is that the the thirty-second or the you know, bumper sticker <laughs> version of what you said? That's fairly accurate. Um, it, certainly, it's uh, corporations who operate outside of the Philippines who whose activities are having effects inside the Philippines could, on the lives and livelihoods. Could survivors of the floods in Houston or Florida? or Puerto Rico file similar lawsuits? Is this, is this the beginning of a trend? I mean, we are seeing more and more climate litigation and climate legal actions happen in the wake of disasters like this. And certainly it depends on the context of each disaster, on the, the laws and avenues available to people. But it's not out of the question. And people should certainly be asking who's responsible for these climate damages and who's going to pay for them. Right. And that, that raises also a whole other kind of set of possibilities after I, I there, there was a town in what was it Kansas Oklahoma something like that that about a decade ago got hit by the by a horrible tornado and, and leveled the town completely leveled the town and they got uh, you know between the uh, FEMA grants uh, Leo DiCaprio gave them a bunch of money there were you know a bunch of people who raised money and it's now called Greenberg the name of the town and it's uh, you know America's first 100 percent renewable energy, mostly solar and wind. In fact, I think it's probably all solar and wind. Literally 100% renewable energy town. It's this beautiful demonstration project that's been operating for a number of years now. Um, why can't we do that in Puerto Rico? And why couldn't the Philippines do that after Hurricane Haiyan? It's... It's cheaper than fossil fuels. It's much cheaper, and it um, gets at questions of the just transition, you know, what's going to happen when we phase out fossil fuels, and how do we make that fair to the communities that need to be rebuilt, and how do we do that rebuilding? And so it's a complicated question, or the, the answer is complicated in terms of political will, lobbying by the fossil fuel industry, the idea that it's too hard or that we're locked into fossil fuels in some way because of contracts or because of 
political influence. So I think our message is that we, we can do it and we should do it and we should look for models like that in Puerto Rico where we can rebuild in a way that doesn't lock in a fossil fuel future but really brings us into the renewable future that we need. Right. Are you optimistic? Sometimes when mm -hmm. I when I see the I mean I'm I'm a, a lawyer and a campaigner and I work on uh, like you said political financial legal accountability for climate change and I see the blossoming of climate litigation and I see cases like uh, in Germany where RWE was told by a court actually this case that you tried to have dismissed can go forward and this Peruvian farmer can ask you to pay for your share of the adaptation he will have to make to protect his home that does make me optimistic. So the German courts have said that a farmer in Peru who is losing his crops because of climate change can sue a German coal burning company? Or so he's, he's losing, he will, when a glacial lake melts because of climate change, his house, his farm, and those of his community will be covered by the lake. And so mm. he sued RWE, a German energy corporation, for their share of their, their contribution to climate change. And so it was calculated that RWE's share was 1% of global emissions since Whoa. 1750. That's so, huge. Sorry, point, sorry, half of 1%. I apologize. That's still huge. It's still huge. And the court said, we, can, we are allowed to go to the evidentiary phase to see if we can attribute this glacial lake melting to RWE, and they should pay for the adaptations that this farmer and this community will need to make. That's so it's a huge precedent. Yeah. In our first hour, we were talking with your uh, general counsel, Tom um, uh, where to go. Tom Witterer. Yeah, Tom Witterer. Yeah, thank you. And, 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 and Annie. And he was talking about everything that Greenpeace is doing to defend itself against lawsuits. Are, are you involved in proactive lawsuits like the RTE lawsuit in Germany? Uh, outside of the U.S., a number of Greenpeace offices are um, instrumental in some of these cases in supporting them and bringing them and fostering them. And that's because climate justice it really needs to be achieved everywhere, and it's different in every country. So there's a case in Switzerland where almost a 1,000 Swiss women have sued the federal government for not adequately protecting them from the effects of climate change because mm. um, senior women are disproportionately affected by heat waves, which um, thousands of... Or uh, extreme cold. Or extreme cold. So mm. that's one of the cases. Uh, in the Philippines, disaster survivors, uh, climate change is really a human rights issue, and so we've mm. really been supporting that effort, and Greenpeace is one of the petitioners uh, in that case. So, yes, we are, and it's one of our um, uh, most important initiatives, I think, going forward, because as we recognize more and more what a human rights issue climate change is, uh, the legal avenues are going to be very important for protecting that. And people who want to support what you're doing, greenpeace.org slash USA? Greenpeace.org slash USA or uh, Greenpeace Southeast Asia if you'd like more information on the Philippines petition itself. What's, what's the website? Uh, greenpeace.org, uh, I think it's .ph. But if you if you go to the greenpeace.org website, you can search for any of our regional offices. There's, there's links to it. Yeah. And uh, that's marvelous. Uh, Naomi Ages, Greenpeace USA climate organizer. She'll be back with us in just a minute to talk a little bit more about what's going on with Greenpeace here in the United States and around the world. You can tweet Naomi at uh, Captain Planet, C-P-T-N, Planet, P-L-A-N-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. So uh, send her a note and say thanks for being on the program. We'll be right back. We're back with Naomi Ages of Greenpeace. So what else is on your mind? What's going on here with Greenpeace that we um, need to know about? I think it's... Uh, these, these cases that I've been talking about um, 
are really important in terms of what we can do right now when it feels like there's a lot of attacks on climate policy, there's a lot of attacks on the environment. Um, these cases aren't going away. Uh, in fact, there was a hearing for the um, Massachusetts and New York Attorneys General investigation into what Exxon knew about climate change and then what it did with that knowledge over the past uh, two or three decades just last week. And uh, Exxon had what we would say was a terrible day in court. Uh, the New York judge was not having any of their arguments for why the case should be dismissed. Really? Uh, yeah. And so it, uh, the decision will come uh, in early 2018. But it seems that the from what happened in court, the uh, investigation will be allowed to go forward and Exxon won't be able to have it dismissed like they were trying to do. Mm. So, and that's just here in the U.S. I think outside of the U.S. we're really seeing where uh, climate litigation is making a difference. And it's not just the, the legal wins themselves. It's the fact that this communicates risks to investors. These fossil fuel companies can be sued, can be held accountable. You shouldn't be putting your money into these projects. You shouldn't be putting your money into these corporations. Um, Norway is trying to divest uh, $35 billion from oil, gas, and coal stocks. That's mm -hmm. a huge signal to the market. Yeah, especially since Norway is one of the world's largest producers of oil. That's right. I mean, uh, at least on a per capita basis, I think generally speaking, they're amazing. That's right. And so, um, you know, they say that the because they're doubly exposed from both their state oil fund and from their investments in other oil companies, right. it doesn't make economic sense for them to stay on both ends. And so they're trying to pull their money out of those stocks. Right. That's, I mean, that's something to really be positive about. And I yeah. think the more we can prove how financially risky the fossil fuel industry is, the more you're going to see that happening. We were in uh, Tromso, Norway about three months ago at the uh, Methane Research Center, mm -hmm. CAGE, you know, where they're doing just breakthrough research on climate change. And um, it was right around that time that Norway announced that after, you probably know that the year, I my, what's in my head is 2030, but after a certain year, they're not going to allow the importer manufacturer of any fossil fuel powered vehicles. Is that's that, right. Is that a trend that's happening around the world? It's certainly happening in Europe. Uh, we're seeing that more and more where cities are going to ban the internal combustion engine or try to phase out uh, diesel vehicles. It's not happening here in the U.S. where we're looking at the rollback of fuel efficiency standards. But, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a signal to the market as well that we're going towards electric vehicles. We're not going to be investing in uh, fossil fuel-powered vehicles. Right, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I would say, we in <laughs> Greenpeace think so, and it's thing. good for the planet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, do you, uh, any sense of how the uh, tax bill might affect that? I mean, there was that break for people who are buying electric cars. <sighs> yeah, it's really tough to say what of this tax bill will become yeah. actual law and what will be. It's really not even a tax bill. It's, it's a social engineering bill. But, yeah, disguised as a tax legislation. Yeah, it's reinvent um, America bill. I mean, they even have fetal personhood in the damn thing. That is absolutely terrifying. Cory Gardner and is so excited. You know, the senator <laughs> finally from, managed from Colorado. To he finally that in. got it in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think Ted uh, Cruz was excited about yeah, it as well. Mike from Pence, what I understand. No doubt, oh yeah, yeah, all of our greatest yeah, yeah. champions there of uh, female all reproductive these, rights. Yes, mm. uh, right-wing patriarchs uh, or right-wing advocates for patriarchy. Uh, you know, for lack of a yeah, better way to so say it. It's a monstrosity so. of a bill. Um, yeah. I do not think it's going to be good on the whole for climate climate oh. policy any kind oh. of okay yeah. well, well we're naomi ages is with us here at greenpeace headquarters thanks so much for being with us special thanks to the folks at greenpeace for letting us use their office and uh, we'll be back tomorrow from another place here in washington dc and in the meantime don't forget democracy requires you tag your it You've been See you listening to tom hartman for audio and video archives visit tomhartman.com 